Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Yahoo Daily Fantasy is coming out of the All-Star break hot. Every day they're running zero management fee fantasy basketball contest. That means Yahoo is making nothing on this contest and equals better odds for you to win. One in five people who play will at least double their entry fee. Tired of playing against people with 150 entries? Well, there's a limit of 10 entries per person. So don't miss these contests. Go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to play. Use the promo code yahoo25 when you make your first deposit for $25 in free play. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Camera, a.k.a. Kevin O'Crisis. Kevin! <laughs> How are you doing this morning, Chris? <laughs> I'm doing great, considering as we record this on a Tuesday, last night, Monday night, got extremely wild with lost tempers uh the first happened <laughs> sure earlier in the evening with Serge Ibaka flying off the handle at Marquise Chris and Kevin for those that pine for the old days they watched the 30 for 30s with the Knicks and the Pacers and they say god I miss that well I suppose uh Mr. Ibaka gave him a flashback last night I mean real punches thrown, which is an extreme rarity in the NBA. And I'm sure the NBA is going to uh, hammer Serge after uh, he went off after Marquise Chris last night. Real punches thrown, but none landed. I know. None landed. I mean, Ibaka looked like he was throwing a knockout punch there. Has he ever landed a punch in all his scuffles? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know. He throws them. I mean, he had the Matt Uh, Barnes one a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, a John Wall one, uh, I think Boogie. I don't think any of his punches ever ever landed. <laughs> he, he, he flies off the handle, and then yeah, we, we've got to. You you would think, but suppose in the summers, I know he has dedicated himself to the craft of cooking. Oh, his show uh, is with great his, with his cooking show. But maybe he could just take a little time out and work on punch accuracy. Is this a Cheryl Pining? That is exactly what, what I'm proposing, yes. Right. Yes. If you're going to get in the business of punching people, you would like to make contact, right? As to make it worth the money. Yes. 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 Um, boy, did he fly off the handle. I mean, the choke and then the throwing of the punches. And what it did was it took away from the fact that that is one of easily the most bizarre scores of the season. Oh, no kidding. Right, everybody's just going to talk about like the story of that game ends up being this Ibaka Marquise Chris fight, and I would say the awareness of that taking place because of social media now is immense. You know, your average NBA fan knows that that took place. I would also tell you that the average NBA fan has no idea that the Cavaliers won that game by twenty five points <laughs> last night, which is, I mean, what? What is that? It, uh, the Cavs are 17 and 50. And the Raptors clearly jockeying for playoff position in the Eastern Conference. And one of the four teams that most people believe could be a NBA Finals representative, or at the very least, an Eastern Conference Finals representative. I uh, Obviously, the fight's bizarre, but that score is crazy. Well, and I think Colin Sexton, with the uh, 28 points that he had last night, scored in a, in a variety of different ways, facilitated well in the half court. He looks like a, a like many young players towards the end of the season. He looks way better now at, at playing at with the physicality of the NBA compared to college, playing at the speed of the game. Colin Sexton has made positive advancements over the course of the season that the, all the bust whispers early in the year when he was struggling are quickly going away. Colin Sexton looked pretty good last night. You know, I loved Colin Sexton all of last you year. Did. And then obviously in, in the draft, I went through this season. It was deja vu, honestly. And you know who I went through it with the year before, which people were like, oh yeah, remember when you loved him during the draft? It was 
You know who I went through? Who, who are you impersonating? <laughs> the, 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 those that jump on me. Um, <laughs> hey, it's De'Aaron Fox. I went through it last year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because Fox did not look for some part of the season the part of where he was drafted, you know, Lonzo had caught a little fire there for a little while. And I was a huge De'Aaron Fox guy. And then you see in this second year, he has taken this massive leap forward. And I foresee the same to be true of Colin Sexton. The other thing with Colin Sexton is the return of Kevin Love. I have not gone and done a deep dive on this, but how about this? How about have another awesome player on your team and things things change a little bit? Look at what he's been playing with the entire year, as if it's not hard enough to come into the NBA and be able to learn the point guard position. At first, you have him playing with the dregs. And now, since Love has been back, I think you get a different guy. No doubt. With Kevin Love, there's no denying, granted, in today's league, maybe he doesn't have the same value he did in his prime with Minnesota, but he's still a good player. He still rebounds the hell out of the basketball. He's still a great facilitator for his size, and granted, last night he was only 4 for 11 from the field for 16 points. He's still a good player, and for Colin Sexton, I think having a big man who can pick and pop or short roll, just space the floor from three and alleviate pressure facilitating for him— naturally that helps. Uh, yeah, to your point, Kevin Love gives you the opportunity to have the best player in the game that night. And they had very little opportunity of that when he's not playing. It's possible he's the best guy on the court for a given game. And that just wasn't true. Sure, yeah. I mean, obviously not last night going against Kawhi Leonard. But no, the, no, no. Uh, I'm, talking yeah, about, like, I'm talking about yes. the performance in yes. that specific like, game. He not has the overall. upside to be yes. the best player on the court. Yeah, that's In that game. Just in that particular, in the 48 minutes that's played that night, does he have the best game of everybody? And that's pretty hard to come by when you have the roster they've had for the majority of the season. Do you, like with last night's game, granted it's just a blip, you know, it's just one loss against the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Raptors, but do you have any concern at all with this Raptors team moving forward? I mean, like the East is strong up top, Boston's been better, Milwaukee has been outstanding all season long. Philadelphia obviously has loads of talent and Indiana just plays their ass off. But like this isn't like the first loss like this that Toronto has had. And they've also had some tough losses against actually like good teams, like their recent loss against the Bucks, the one against the Rockets. Has your confidence waned with them at all, Chris? It hasn't, and this is why. Typically with teams like this, especially when you're headed down the home stretch of the season, sometimes this will happen because If you are loaded with veteran players, then at that point, they start to look forward to the playoffs. They just want to get to the playoffs. And it's untrue of young teams or teams that are fighting for a position. But if you have been very good this season and you're already towards 50 wins, this type of stuff can happen to veteran teams. And you have guys, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Mark Gasol and Kyle Lowry and Danny Green. I mean, these are the guys that are starting for you last night, and they have loads of playoff games underneath their belt in their career. And so I just think, I, I think it's true of vet teams. I do. So no. It's fair. I think that's fair. Yep. They just want to get to the playoffs. A lot of these guys, you know, the last 20 games of the season, and you don't want your team coasting to get into the playoffs. You'd like them to be playing their best, but it is what happens. 82 games is long, and especially when these guys expect to be playing a lot of playoff games. Also, I I mean, like for them, they have an opportunity over the final couple weeks to get themselves, I don't want to say back on track. It's not like they've been horrible or anything like that, but to develop a strong rhythm. They have a pretty easy schedule, uh, the second easiest schedule in the league the rest of the season. Their they're only tough games are really two against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, then the, Net, the Nets and the Pistons. Other than that, it's a pretty light schedule for them the rest of the way to, to get in a roll heading into the postseason. The only thing that concerns me with them is hopefully what you will find is that Van Vliet is, is healthy when it comes playoff time. That's what you hope that he's good, able to go. He's doing everything that you need to do because he's obviously had some injury issues, um, didn't play in that game last night. I know they acquired Jeremy Lin, and he's been pretty good, but Van Vliet has just been so important to when, uh, you know, there were many games where they closed out games 
with him and closed out games with their bench unit. And I do think he is, he's the thing that makes that bench unit go and where they can really be devastating. So a healthy Van Vliet at his best matters more than whatever. An off night losing to a team they probably shouldn't be losing to. For sure. Yep. Yep. Uh, the big story of last evening is the Russell Westbrook interaction with the fan. Again, you know, sometimes result gets lost. The result was that was a very good win for Oklahoma City last night on the road against Utah. And Utah has started to slip here over the course of the last week and is putting themselves into a very difficult position standings-wise as there is very little separation between any of these teams. I mean, they wake up this morning and they're sitting in the eighth seed. Uh-oh. Clearly, <laughs> you don't want to be playing Golden State on the road in the first series. Now, they are only a game behind the Clippers who are in sixth, but I think we all know the difference between six and seven and eight is immense this particular year. But anyway, you have this interaction that goes on last night between Russell Westbrook and a fan. And the Westbrook reaction is caught on camera as he is screaming at the fans and saying regrettable things. And then that is dispersed all over social media. And then it's one of those, there's the quick reaction. And I I decided last night while I am ingesting this on social media, I'm like, you know what? I'm sitting this one out until I find out everything that took place with this. But I will tell you, Kevin, that my immediate reaction when I saw the video was, oh, geez, he'll regret that. Because, of course, he snaps. Uh, the second thing was, for the last you know 17 years, I have been right. By, I mean, anybody that watches the games that are taking place in Memphis, I mean, I'm I'm right there behind the bench usually, and and I used to be on the other side by the visitors bench, and I've sat there for home games for the better part of over a decade. I have seen, I mean, tens of thousands of player and fan interactions. I've heard fans say things that you absolutely should not say. I've seen fans get kicked out. I've seen fans talked to by ushers. Likewise, I have seen players yell back at fans. I've seen coaches yell back at fans. I mean, I've just seen thousands of these interactions over the years. When I saw that video last night, my immediate reaction was, I really need to know what that guy said because I do not want to sound like a complete Russell Westbrook apologist on this because he was wrong with what he did, though I am empathetic, you know, in some ways. And I'll explain that in a moment. Russell Westbrook gets it more than anyone of anybody that comes into opposing arenas. And I've seen Russell Westbrook in regular season games. I have seen him in playoff games. And he is the subject of the greatest of fan ire. And he gets screamed at at every arena across the NBA and does not react that way. And so when I saw it, I'm like, my God, he snapped. Like that was a guy who snapped and was furious. And so my immediate reaction was, what on earth did somebody say? Because I will tell you, there is a track record here, and it's every night. It's 82 games, uh, well, 41, right, when he's on the road, plus the playoffs. Fans are on top of Westbrook and guys like Westbrook more than anyone, trying to get under his skin, screaming at him. I have seen thousands of interactions with Westbrook and fans. I've never seen anything like that, not even close anything like that. And so my first reaction was, what in the hell happened? So let's start there as we unpack this. What was your first reaction when you saw the video come across Twitter or wherever you saw it? I didn't see it live. I caught up at the end because I was at Clippers Celtics last night. So I I had not seen it for like until everything had been out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if the guy said what they allegedly said, why not? You don't have to say that. Just stick to calling him Westbrook. That's a totally unnecessary if that's what was said last night. It's unfortunate that's what happened. Um, yeah. Okay. So they go in the interview, the fan. And the second I watched the interview with that fan, I said, this guy is lying. A hundred percent. Like, I saw it and I'm like, this lion sack. Because, you know, at the end, he's like... 
I brought Jennifer and, uh, and Jennifer sitting next to me. She's five foot tall and it's the first time she's ever been to an NBA game. Welcome to Play, the, he was playing the victim, right? Yeah. Welcome, yeah, welcome, welcome to the NBA, Jen. And I'm like, you sack of crap. <laughs> I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Now, so I will tell you that when I saw him, I'm like, all right, this guy, he's lying his ass off. Like, this is not some innocent thing that took place because I know this. While I know people might not like Westbrook, he does not snap like that. He just doesn't. And I'm telling you, I've heard people say all manner of things to him. And he snapped. And so when I saw that guy and it was just like, Oh, innocent me, and welcome to the NBA, Jennifer. I was like, give me a break. <laughs> All right. And so I knew he was lying. And, of course, the internet always has receipts, and people went and found his account, yep. and it is just racial epithet after racial epithet. And, I mean, he is exactly the type of guy that could set somebody off. And I don't know what all was said. And I will also say this. I am not telling you that it is okay what Russell Westbrook did. I am one that is generally an extremely like happy-go-lucky. I'm generally happy, like the majority of my life, right? Very, very difficult to make angry, but I have snapped. And when I snap, I snap. And I've done things that I regret. And much like I think there will come a time where Russell Westbrook wishes, I know he's playing the hardcore role last night and saying, you know, I'd do it exactly the same way and I'd say all the same things. He'll grow older and change that opinion on that, as have I, as the years have gone on. But I'm empathetic to the guy that snaps and has a temper that when he gets pushed to a limit, he does things he wish he wouldn't have later down the road, whether it say something or act a certain way towards somebody. I've I've been that guy, and so I know what it's like to snap. And I'm empathetic towards that. That does not make it right. I mean, what he did. There's last different night. degrees of snapping. It's not like he went into the crowd and started another malice. No, no, in the no, 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 no. But he shouldn't be saying, "I'll f you up. Oh, I'll yeah, f your yeah. wife up." Yeah. He shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, when people get angry and people snap, people say things that they wish they hadn't said later down the road. And I don't think that that's a great reflection of him, probably. And I think he'll later down the road probably regret it, you know? I mean, I think a couple of days from now, like, you know, Westbrook probably gets fined. They, they investigate the fan. They they probably ban him from the arena or something like that. And we forget about it by next week. The other thing is I'll say this, because all of these guys get player conduct cards. Anybody that's very close to the floor. There's player conduct cards in their seats. Yeah, yeah. There's those, and I know, like, at, um, yes. I saw a photo of something like you get a. War- there's like warnings that fans get. I'm not sure if this is just a Utah thing or league wide. Yeah, no, 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 no. W- that's league wide. Yeah, the warning yes. card, right? Yeah, that's league wide. And yeah. I and I would tell you that that's the usher's job, and the usher should have quelled that. And you can tell Westbrook screaming at the usher. Yeah, he was at that point. Yep. Yes, he is screaming at the usher. Like when it gets to that point and it's boiling like that. That is the usher's job, and that's the people's job in that arena to quell that. End of story. Fans should not be able to say just any kind of thing, but especially most of the time, there's not some kind of terrible interaction, and most of these guys played off. There's the famous gif of Westbrook. There's the guy in Philadelphia. He's giving him double birds and yelling F you in his face, and that famous gif of Westbrook like pointing to him. You know, almost like Johnny Carson or something yeah, yeah. The, on the sidelines. I mean, the, the confused pointing sideways yes. look. Yeah. Yes. Great I gift. <laughs> and that guy is giving him the double bird and yelling F you. And don't you dare try to correct gif and jif. I'm not. Don't you. I, 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 you I, slick, you're, the one, you're too slick. What are you talking about? <laughs> I said, oh, you no, did that on I purpose. Just said, I just said. No, I didn't. I just said yes, it the way did. I said. I'm not yes, arguing. You you're the one who brought it up. <laughs> Yes, you did. I'm not going to argue about that. It's just not worth it. I was just saying it my way. You can say it your way. This is truly the mismatch. And people are going to fall down these lines. Um, Here's what I tell you. It's a regrettable situation last night. Westbrook is wrong. The fan is wrong. And the usher and that arena is wrong. I think everybody's wrong. And it's a regrettable situation for the NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time that people have uh, said there's been racially tinged comments at jazz games. And that's unfortunate because it's not representative of the entire fan base or all of the people of Utah. And it is certainly not far-fetched considering people dug up that guy's Twitter feed and it's just abhorrent. 
absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, that hurts. That hurts his uh, his argument that it was just innocence. You're right. Because he, he claimed that he said, uh, ice your knees. Oh, good grief. Listen, here's what I would tell you. That guy has said all manner of things that are beyond ridiculous from what he has made public, as you can see through his profile. And the internet is undefeated when it comes to this kind of stuff. Again, I wish it wouldn't have happened. That's for certain. But Oklahoma City downed Utah last night. He hit the huge shot that pretty well buried them. And now, as we mentioned, Utah looking at that eight seed, which is a bit troublesome, right? For sure. Um, I mean, I think with last night's game, Chris, and this was the case last week on Friday's Corner 3, even though Oklahoma City won, I'm still looking at Paul George's shooting numbers and like, whoo, geez. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, since he returned last Tuesday, 6 of 17 at the rim, 8 of 20 for mid-range, 8 of 35 from 3. Mm. He is not shooting the ball well at all, and that could just be small sample, and like everything's going to be fine, the, the final stretch of the regular season into the playoffs. But following the shoulder, you know, rotator cuff injury, I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned. That sample is growing, and he's not shooting the ball any better than he did early last week when he initially returned. You're either going to have to have one of two things. Him improve greatly, or Russell Westbrook start shooting as if he has not been this entire season because he has clearly not been shooting the ball well this year. Though he has stuffed stat sheets, his percentages have not been very good, and you are going to be counting on somebody when it matters most come playoff time. George has been MVP level, and it feels like he surged, and he was right there where he was getting in that conversation with Harden and Giannis, and now he's just not. He's just not. I think he's fallen back out of it, and this is a two-man race. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. Harden and Giannis. Yeah. All right. Uh, Standings watch after last night. I think it's fair to say it's very, very difficult to foresee a circumstance where Sacramento gets there now. They needed this last 10 games, and obviously it hurt them to lose Marvin Bagley when they did because they were really rocking there for a minute. But three and seven in their last 10 games, and that's when they need to be seven and three. But they weren't. And so now they're four games out from Utah, who has a rather easy schedule down the stretch. You have the Spurs, who have won five in a row, the Clippers, who have won five in a row. And so it appears as if for the first time we have real clarity on who the eight teams are going to be in the Western Conference. It's simply a matter of what positions they're going to be in, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, especially in in the Western Conference, Sacramento has been a wonderful story all season. But four back when Utah has the easy schedule that they have, going to be tough yeah. for them to get in there. It's tough. And you have the Rockets, who have won nine in a row. And now they're two games back from Denver. I suppose, you know, Denver, who has been one or two virtually the entire season, you know, we could look up at the end of this and they could end up with the three seed because Houston does not appear to be slowing down anytime soon. They've been unreal, dude. I, I mean, yeah. obviously, early, earlier in the season when Harden first started that ridiculous run, the question was how sustainable it would be. And now that Chris Paul was getting himself back healthy and Clint Capella has returned, man, I mean, this team is... They're getting hot at the right time. They're also getting healthy at the right time. And when you think about how great this team was last season when those three were all healthy, I mean, what we're seeing as of late, obviously you wouldn't favor them in a series against Golden State, but I still think they would have a real shot at sending a series to six or seven. And if they have a hot shooting game, maybe winning a series um, in the postseason because the way they're playing right now, it's really, really impressive. All right, Kevin, we'll get right back to it. First, I want to tell everybody about the NBA Watch of the Night. The Minnesota Timberwolves at the Denver Nuggets. It's on TNT at 10.30 Eastern. Tonight, we have been talking about the Nuggets, and I guess they still have a chance at the one seed, Kev. They also have a chance of falling back as everything is tenuous within this uh, standings race. Uh, Minnesota's not been very good down the stretch, though they have won two games in a row. They've been dismal away from home. What a what a difference. They are 23 and 10 at home, 9 and 25 on the road. Whereas the Nuggets have only lost six games at home all season and trying to bounce back after their recent loss. And they got to try to hold off Houston, who will not slow down. Uh Nuggets T Wolves, what do you think? 
I'm looking forward to seeing how Denver's rotation develops over this final stretch. Because right now, they're at a point where earlier in the season, it was like they were not healthy and they were winning despite that. Uh, but now they everybody's healthy besides Michael Porter, and they have too many guys. Isaiah Thomas, since returning, has... It's unfortunate he's just not been good. Um, and I think that has not ruined the bench chemistry, but it, it has hampered it. I wonder at what point do they go back to just playing Morris and Beasley off the bench, and then Thomas would have to take just a, a deep bench reserve role. Because right now they're, just, they're playing too many guys because they have to play too many guys. But it's worth investing that time now to try to get IT back to 75% of what he was his final season um, in Boston that year where he placed fifth in MVP voting. But I do wonder at what point does Malone pull the plug on that and just get back to the primary rotation that he wants to be using in the playoffs to develop rotations and all that before the postseason. Well, and the other thing is the whole Gary Harris deal. Since he has come back, I believe he's only had two double-digit games, one of which was that blowout of the Lakers. And he was installed in the starting lineup, and that had been... Beasley and they had looked really good and you know I was effusive in my praise with Beasley but it just it feels like it's been a little bit of a tough go for Gary Harris he missed those games and then he came back for a bit and then he missed a a bunch more games and trying to get him back in that starting lineup has not necessarily helped because it felt like they were really cracking even without Harris and now you got to implement him back into the mix right Um, and he wasn't very good against the Warriors the other night yeah I mean they got to get it back to what yep. they were, because this is a team that had upside to go all the way to the Western Conference Finals. And right now they're in a spot where they could slip to the three seed and uh, they, they could be prone to a first round upset if, they, if they're not able to get themselves back to what they were at the beginning of the season and, and into deep into the midseason. All right, as they are trying to hold off the Houston Rockets, they need a win tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Nuggets versus T-Wolves tonight, TNT at 10.30 Eastern. And remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or your preferred video provider. I want to remind everybody, today's show is brought to you by hotel tonight this winter is a great time to check out hotel tonight and whether you want to take a spontaneous ski trip or escape to a warm beach hotel tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last minute deals there's tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked that's how hotel tonight scores such incredible rates they team up with awesome hotels to help them sell those rooms and pass the savings on to you and these aren't last resort type places hotel tonight works with cool top rated hotels you actually want to stay at unlike other travel companies you don't have to scroll through endless list of hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at great hotels, along with short profiles that have pictures and all the info you need. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can play things by ear or use Hotel Tonight to book in advance. And when you join Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better deals you get. To score amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. We have talked about how the Warriors are more susceptible than they have been in the last four or five years. They clearly have not been playing good basketball as of late. The chemistry's not there. Yeah, it feels off. And you obviously have the Kerr lip-reading thing the other night uh, where he said, uh, you know, I'm so effing tired of Draymond, blah, blah, blah. And And he clarified that and saying he's talking about Draymond with the refs and that it was lip-reading gone wrong, whatever. Here's what we know. We watch that team play, and they don't look nearly as devastating as they have recently. Now, maybe they're just coasting until it comes playoff time, and then they're going to flip that switch and just you know murder people. But when we say that there's all of these different teams that are jockeying for position, Utah, who was highly ranked and had a chance at home court advantage very recently, is now sitting at the eighth seed. Of all of those teams, who do you think would give them the hardest of the first-round series? And I'll let you pick between... We'll we'll put the Blazers and we'll act like the Blazers are going to be a little bit higher. So then you would have those three that are at 6, 7, and 8, which are all within a game of each other. Clippers, Spurs, Jazz. If you are the Warriors, who do you want to face the least? Uh, Maybe it's because I just saw them last night with the Clippers. Just because of how hard that team plays um, and the the chemistry they have on both ends of the court and the consistent effort that they play, I think I'd say the Clippers. 
You know, talking to you guys this morning, it feels like that game last night in your mind's eye was more about the Clippers than it was about the Celtics. Because typically, anytime the Celtics lose, it's like, oh, what's wrong with the Celtics? Or the Celtics are going to get it together. And, you know, <laughs> yet, 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 yet you guys were effusive in your praise about the Clippers and they're eight and two over the course of their last 10 games and another really impressive win last night. Yeah, man, I, this team, this team, it's like your your ancient philosophy, Chris. Just don't play bad players. Just play good players. That's all right. they do, right? Up and down their roster, they have a bunch of good players. And last night, Montrezl Harrell, we've talked about him before on this podcast. The development he has made this season, scoring, passing out of the short roll, um, the intensity he's played with has been consistent since college, but he has really channeled that and improved his discipline and fundamentals over the years to just become a really, really good two-way big man. Uh, and Lou Williams last night, he's still ticking, dude. 34 points on 20 shots. He was um, maybe the best line of the night, I think. Lou Will's great. Especially considering, Kevin, he had 34 points last night. He played 23 minutes. I mean, that's outrageous. He took 20 shots and had 34 points in 23 <laughs> minutes last night in that game. The other one is Gallinari. He looked like the best player on the floor in the first half. In a game against Boston, I, I suppose Kyrie was obviously good too, but you look up and down your line to your point, what'd they send? They send seven into double digits last night? Seven guys. They got a good team, man. It's a good squad. Doc Rivers is probably not going to win coach of the year, but uh, the year he's had with the roster he's had with... Playing the amount of young players is abnormal for Doc Rivers with Zubats, Shamit, Gildas Alexander, um, just those three alone starting. Someone mentioned this to me last night. I, I forget who it was, but it's like LeBron's comments about like it's hard to win with young guys. It's like, look at the Clippers. Look at the Clippers. They're winning with a lot of young guys and no superstar player, except for Danilo Gallinari. <laughs> that Zubats trade is ridiculous. Why did the Lakers do that? It makes no sense to me. Like, I still try to figure out, like, what was the point of that? Why? Gotta have Mike Muscala, Chris. Gotta have him. I mean, that's just a terrible, terrible trade. <laughs> that kid is good. You know, when he was on that, uh, he was the one after Jokic. There's a couple of them that didn't pan out. Timothy Cabral, Luwalu hasn't necessarily, t- but they were all on that small team. Uh, was it Megalex? Yeah, Megalex. Yeah. The one that Jokic came from. And boy, did they find some really good young talent on, in that system. But that Zubac kid is, I think he's really good. And I just, I can't believe that they gave him up for what they did. That's just bananas. And the other thing is winning with a backcourt. Uh, and I know that Shamit uh, started last night, but Beverly and Gilgis Alexander. I mean, this is not exactly offensively potent. How the hell are you scoring 140 points and that's your backcourt? You would think you'd have trouble scoring, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, yeah, with this team, it's like we just said, though, they have a lot of good players who are playing unselfish basketball. It's yep. not like there's one primary source of offense. It can be a different guy each night. Like one night, it might be Landry Shamit who has an, a, an advantage um, on the offensive end of the floor using him off screens and handoffs. It might be him one night. Uh, the next night, it might be Gallinari. And Lou Will is always going to be providing points off the bench. They just have a lot of options, and, and they use them well within their kind of equal-ish opportunity system. Uh, Doc's done a hell of a job this year, man. That is for certain. Hey, Isaac, uh, is he saying that uh, Golden State that you wouldn't want to play against them? Mm. Uh, I know the last time that they played Golden State, they got mashed. Uh, yeah. I've got it up here. And, and now they have not played them, in fairness, since the Harris deal, right? So Harris is still in the lineup. Yeah, it's a different roster now. They lost, let's see, by two in another one. Uh, two of these games have gone to overtime. So, so far, I've got them one and two. Do they play again before? They do. Second to last game of the season. So, they're one and two against them so far. Do you agree with him in terms of a Clipper opportunity against the Warriors? Do you think your squad could give them a run? Absolutely not. No, no. way. No <laughs> way. No way. There's, there's no way. In the playoffs, it's a different story. <laughs> like, also, it's a sweep. you can talk to any Clippers fan. There's no optimism in the Clippers fan base ever. Like, even this season where it was filled with a lot of, a lot of hope and the young guys developing, there's no way they're going to give the Golden State Warriors a run for their money anytime soon. Yeah, there's no way. It's a sweep. All right. It's a sweep. Oh, okay. Well, then I say Utah. <laughs> 
<laughs> he has convinced me. I'd say Utah is the one they don't want to play just because they're big. That's what I would say, Kev. Uh, if you're the Warriors, I'd rather not play them. Home court advantage obviously can be real. <laughs> Lord knows you got to deal with those fans. Um, but in addition to that, the altitude thing, and they're big. And so you could end up seeing one of those games where they just out-rebound them by a million. And so they're given so many more opportunities and cracks at it. So I, I guess I'd say them, but that's interesting that you... I, I feel bad for Clippers. I, I wish they... Shouldn't, I, shouldn't feel bad. They got two max slots this summer. No, and a bunch no, no, of no, nice no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I feel bad for the Clippers <laughs> within the context of that city. I will tell you, maybe I, I would have supposed things have not changed. But even during like when they had the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, like that whole team, whatever, I was wearing like a Grizzlies jacket, like just like around town when I was there for the week and they were going to be playing against the Clippers. I'm not kidding you. Everywhere I go, everywhere I went in Los Angeles, people were like, yeah, make sure you beat the Clippers tonight. It was bizarre. I, I guess there's like a lot of people in LA that are just such big Laker fans that they really root against the Clippers. I mean, I'm not kidding. Everywhere I went, people were telling me, like, they were like, yeah, going to be rooting for you guys tonight. And I'm like, this is just weird. <laughs> that true, Isaac? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> just weird. I mean, people, it's kind of a joke, right? Yeah. The Lakers have won 17 championships if you count the Minneapolis ones. And even if you don't, it's still 11 championships in yep. Los Angeles alone. So, to how, and, to uh, how many? To zero for the Clippers. <laughs> not even a Western Conference Finals berth for the Clippers. So it's the rivalry is kind of a joke, and, and I treat it as a joke, definitely. But there were Lakers fans during the Lob City years that actively rooted against the Clippers' success, just as the Clippers fans actively rooted against the Lakers' success. So it's a give and take. I'm not, uh, I'm not mad at it. It's actually it's probably kind of fun. All right, fair enough. All right, let me get to the Easter Conference real quick because we do need to take a look at them. Milwaukee is still in first place. They have the best record in the NBA, and they're two and a half games up on Toronto. Both of those teams have already punched their tickets to the playoffs, uh, but Milwaukee is still sporting a plus nine differential, which is just immense. I mean, you're talking about when you when you get into double digits, you're talking about the greatest seasons ever for individual teams uh, having a double-digit point differential. You now have Philadelphia, who is in third as of right now. I got that win, and Embiid was unbelievable when he came back. The Pacers losing a couple. Boston obviously losing last night. And then you get to Brooklyn, who of the six, seven, and eight, uh, as it stands right now, Brooklyn, the Pistons, and Miami – I do not foresee a circumstance where the Pistons or Miami are really putting the fear of God into somebody that is highly seated. I do think Brooklyn could. What about you? Why do you? I'm curious why. What separates Brooklyn? Much like you were talking about with the Clippers. You watch that team, and that is a team that has this incredible chemistry. I mean, you see them. They always look like they're having so much fun together. Dinwiddie has been fantastic over the course of the last week, now that they've gotten him back into the fold. They've got energy guys uh, that can do stuff with, you know, Eddie Davis, who they bring off the bench. Obviously, they've got Jared Allen, the fro, in that starting lineup. And Russell has taken a huge leap this year. I just think that there are these nights where, like, obviously, they they killed uh, the Pistons last night in that game, and Blake Griffin couldn't hit a shot to save his life. But I like the way they are set up. You've got Russell, who's really running everything. they got a couple guys that can shoot on the outside, not the least of which is Joe Harris. And then they've got guys they bring off their bench that can be productive. And I like benches like this where you can flip the game and there's so much energy. And when they bring off Dinwiddie and they bring off Carroll and they bring off Ed Davis and obviously Levert coming back into form and he's coming off the bench for them, I like the depth. And I just watch that team, and they seem like they are always just having so much fun, and they've got such great chemistry. Yeah, I mean, Detroit's been really good lately, too, though. I mean, last night's game, they were obviously No, awful. I know. Um, second half of a back-to-back. But Detroit's played great. I mean, Blake Griffin, I wrote about most improved players of the year. Blake Griffin wouldn't necessarily be in that conversation compared to some of the other guys, like Russell, as you mentioned, Pascal Siakam, De'Aaron Fox. But Blake Griffin's been really good this season for Detroit, and Andre Drummond has been on a tier just the last two months or so. 
And I think with that trade, like we talked about on Friday's show, um, the additions that they made with Wayne Ellington, some of the young guys playing well, uh, Luke Kennard stepping up since the Reggie Bullock trade, they've just had a lot of good production up and down their roster in addition to some star power up top with Blake Griffin. So I think in that sense, Detroit, I might give them a slight edge in the playoffs, but it also depends on the series. Like, we don't know how these matchups are going to shake out. But to your point about Brooklyn um, and last night's game, yeah, they're just another one of those teams with a lot of talent and also a lot of chemistry. And I think with D'Angelo Russell's progress this season, it gives them a player who at least has the potential to be a star in an individual game. And I think for him, it'll be a really good experience in the postseason to adapt against the physicality, the game planning, and everything that happens. Because he's as good as he's been this season, there's still a lot of room for improvement with getting to the line, getting to the basket, and also playing more consistent defense. But the Russell's management's have been so impressive. Yeah, I just don't trust the Detroit team. I know they're 11-3 and over the course of their last 14 games, but they've taken advantage of a schedule that got lighter. I'm not going to say they didn't have good wins because clearly the one against Toronto in overtime was good. But I mean, it's Minnesota, Chicago, Chicago, and then you go backwards, Cleveland, Miami, Atlanta. I mean, they lost the game at San Antonio. They lost the game at Boston. They beat the Wizards. They beat the Knicks twice. You know, they've got some good wins in there, though. Obviously, the Denver win was very good. The Toronto win's very good. So I don't want to act like yeah, they've all, had some of, good their, wins, all man. of their wins. Yeah. But their schedule did lighten up a lot. Sure. But they took care of business. And conversely, the rest of the season, Brooklyn's going to have a, a steep challenge on their hands. They, they only have two easy-ish games, and that's against the Lakers and the Heat, who are like on the fringes of being competitive. Other than that, like they have a real, real tough stretch of games, including a, a long road trip, I think, for about two weeks, really. And so I think for Brooklyn, there's okay. going to be some challenges down the stretch. Okay, I really like that Brooklyn team, but I will ask you, if there is somebody we have decided, and and I think it will be so in the end, that from the very beginning of the season, we said there's four. Milwaukee, Toronto, the Sixers, and the Celtics, in some order, will be the representatives in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Now, the Pacers have still played fantastic basketball despite losing their best player earlier in the year. That being said, if we are trying to find somebody that we think could break that up, and I would give you Indiana, Brooklyn, the Pistons, and the Heat, and as I said, you know that Indiana's been by far the best, but are they the one that you could see crashing a party if it's not the four that we have just always assumed it's going to be? Yeah, I, I think it would be Indiana of of those bottom four teams. Okay. Let me ask you about the teams at the bottom because – Now the lottery odds are changing with every single night, and you have a lot of these teams that are losing incessantly. The Dallas Mavericks are losing every night. Obviously, you have the Lakers losing five in a row. The Pelicans started losing. They've lost three in a row, and so everybody is jockeying for these positions while the Grizzlies are attempting to win on a nightly basis so that they can convey their first round pick, which they do if they're not in one of the bottom eight spots, they can convey that pick to the Boston Celtics. What do you think when you are watching these standings from the bottom up? It's uh, the most exciting race in history, Chris. (laughs) It's been a joy to watch these teams fight for Zion Williamson. It's been heroic, really. Dallas has really made a strong, strong run at the six best lottery odds. And Memphis is doing what they need to do, Chris. They're winning games because they they want to convey their pick. And right now they are up by a half game over the Wizards, a game and a half up over the Pelicans, and they're coming hard for the eighth best odds because that's where they want to be. Well, and clearly the Lakers are losing every night. So even if you just win some of the games, it appears the Lakers are going to be losing a ton down the stretch. As they should. But Dallas ultimately is getting what they want, moving up to the sixth spot. And Memphis, if they do continue playing well, they'll be in a spot where they'll have like a 20% or 25%-ish odds at getting a top four pick, which would be great for them. But the preference does seem to be um, just to give up that pick to Boston this year, who it's owed his top eight protected pick, and then have a clean slate moving forward. Um, it would, I think it would really help their rebuild. But obviously, if you're Memphis, it'd be, it'd be okay to win a top pick. But unless yep. it's Zion, I'm not sure the appeals there as much. 
Okay, well, we, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to get to that now because with all these conference tournaments going on in college basketball, people are going out of their way to watch college basketball, as am I, especially highlighting the prospects. I will tell you, Kevin, that I know that you are a monstrous draft guy who is doing a preparation on a regular basis. When you are looking at the mocks and you are thinking about this upcoming draft, Every talent evaluator, because I'll try to grab scouts from other teams. Um, I've called around to college people. I've talked to uh, some personnel guys around the league. And what I have found is nobody feels confident about four. I have not found one person that says this is who's going for or this is who should go for. And yet everybody, for the most part, has the same Three guys at the top, which are Zion Williamson, John Morant at Murray State, and R.J. Barrett at Duke. And there, I found some people that like Cam Reddish. I found some people that like Hachimura from Gonzaga. I've found some people that like DeAndre Hunter from Virginia or Garland from Vandy. But it feels like, I don't know, and, and maybe you are getting different intel. But from what I've gathered, that there is a real drop past three and that most teams have the top three the same. Yeah, the people I've talked to is similar. Uh, I, I think there's real disagreement between Morant versus Barrett for that second spot. And I, there's still a handful of people that you know aren't convinced about RJ, even in the third spot for that matter. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, with criticisms of RJ, Barrett are, are legitimate. You know, can he be efficient scorer? How will his defense be at the next level when it's, he's been very lackadaisical um, on that end this year at Duke, even though he has the, the body to defend, um, the mindset has not been there for him. How will his shot be? Like These are real questions about him. With Cam Reddish, to me, right now at this stage, and there's a long way to go, uh, not just in the college season, but you know the whole pre-draft process with how these guys develop training for the draft. Um, with Cam Reddish, I, I still have a hard time looking at him um, and thinking like this guy should not be the fourth pick in this year's draft class with his youth, with his length, with his ability to make just pro level moves as a ball handler from the perimeter. It's just hard not to project him being a guy who's going to be a good two way player um, in the league for a long time. He might not be the star that people are expecting. He might not be the Paul George that people wanted, but uh, there's still a lane for him to be a really good two way player. So for me right now, I'd have him in that four spot but there's still time for that to change for sure. And NBA people aren't all in agreement. There are people who wouldn't draft Reddish in the top six, seven, or eight. That's interesting. Um, you know, and there's a lot of variance. Put it this way. That's the bottom yeah, line. Yeah. There's a lot of variance this year starting at three, really. three, But especially at four. This year, yeah. like you said, Garland's another guy, Chris. Darius Garland, who got hurt earlier this season for Vanderbilt. There are some people who like Garland over John Morant. Just because Jaws played doesn't make him necessarily better. We've just seen him more recently. But there are people who prefer Garland. There's a lot of variance in this draft, which is going to make it wild on draft night. Yeah, and inevitably there will be somebody that takes hold of these conference tournaments and, and then the NCAA tournament that their stock goes crazy. We saw this last year. I remember it vividly with Gilgis Alexander. He just went up a notch. And next thing you knew, people were talking about him as a possible lottery pick where he had not been high on those lists prior to. And so this is the moment where everybody starts watching, the games get super competitive and matter most, and this feels like a year even more so than others where you could greatly improve your draft stock. And that if I printed off today who most people have in the lottery, I could foresee it changing significantly within the next three weeks. Yeah. I, Don't you it, feel that way? Absolutely. I mean, that's the, that's the one thing about this year's class. Like one team we didn't mention when we were talking about the Eastern Conference, we didn't mention the Orlando Magic, that right now they're a game back from the heat for that eight spot. So right now they have the, the 12th best odds, but that can end up being 15. But for them, it's like, sure, you would love to have the number one or number two pick, but there's not a significant difference in talent from seven and 15. You know what I mean? Like this year, it really flattens out. So obviously you don't have the amount of choices, but the talent level is not drastically different at that area of the draft. 
Well, they just have to figure out a way to get into the vicinity where they can take Bull Bull because you know that the Magic are just going to take whoever is seven foot with a 700 foot wingspan. So they could have Bull Bull and Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac and everybody else. Is, they're just going to, I think this is uh, John Gabriel's, right? This is his dream is to just find the guys that are the tallest, longest possible human beings. It would be hysterical if they took Bull Bull. <laughs> be wild, man. Never right? that off that lineup. <laughs> hey, if they went, if they went Bull Bull, Isaac, and uh, Mo Bamba, <laughs> let that be three, four, I'm and ready five for on it. your roster. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for it right now. Let's go. Let's make it what happen. the hell? Why not? I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather them not be paired with uh, whoever they got now. What DJ Augustine? Like, so we did. Well, they, they Mar- they, they right? I was going to say they got Markel Fultz, Chris. Come on, start of the they show. Got Mar- they got Markel Fultz. They could, I guess, they could end up with him. Is there somebody that you have found yourself really falling in love with over the course of the past couple of weeks? Draft guys, as you have started to dive into this more that as you've watched more of them or talked to more people about them that you are higher on than if I would have talked to you two or three weeks ago? Um, I'm not sure about two or three weeks ago, but generally this season, I think Jackson Hayes, the center from Texas, has been really impressive. Uh, turns 19 a couple of weeks before the draft or about a month before the draft. A bouncy, athletic, rim-running center, plays hard on defense, shot blocker. It's easy to see a lane for him to be a Capella-esque center He's not quite as athletic as Capella, but he's a a really, really good two-way center. Um, I think he could be somebody that that rises quickly up the draft boards. There we go. All right. So uh, I will certainly keep an eye on him. He may just get one crack at it right in the Big 12 tournament because Mm -hmm. his team has been a colossal disappointment this year, that Texas team, where I thought Shaka Smart was going to win big time there, by the way. Um, And they lost the little guard, Kerwin Roach, this year. I, I may have to catch him fast uh, in the Big 12 tournament. <laughs> Run out of time. <laughs> They're a 500 team. Knowing the stupid NCAA tournament, they'll probably put him in the tournament at 16 and 16 from the Big 12, right? They face Kansas on Thursday night. It's a national TV game. That's, uh, perfect, that's an opportunity right? to catch him, yeah. No, that would be uh, be perfect. And that kid, what is it? Jackson Hayes, I'm looking him up right now. 10.5 rebounds a game so far this year. Good Lord. Talk about taking efficient shots, right? 73% from the field. Yeah. I guess, this, yeah, I guess good, this guy dude. doesn't take sh- Jackson Hayes doesn't take shots he can't make. That is for certain. And actually, good free throw line numbers. You know, he shot 75%, which is good for a center from the free throw line, especially if you're talking about rim running a lot. Uh, I'm very excited for all of these conference tournaments coming up. And we do have the home stretch of the NBA season with most of these teams having about 15 games left. And then we get the playoffs where you yeah, listen, we're ready for the playoffs. Just like all these players are Kev. I'm ready for it, man. Let's go. I am too. I'm ready. It's going to do it for today's show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Head over to, iTunes, if you dig what you're hearing, and go give us a rating and a review. Five stars, five stars really helps, and we will talk to you next week. Hey!